Welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm lead minister here at GCC. Thank you for joining us today as we start our summertime sermon series on modern parables. You might be thinking, what are we doing here? Why do we have movie posters in church? <clears throat> why do we have popcorn in the auditorium? And why do we have Superman music playing before the service? Why are we doing a series on modern parables? Jesus regularly taught using parables, presenting stories rather than direct exposition of scripture to convey spiritual truth. One day, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Jesus explained that he used parables so that the hearts of those rejecting God would not be hardened further. The same sun that softens the wax also hardens the clay. And so too, the same parable that softens the heart and quickens the imagination of the wise listener may harden the heart and dull the imagination of the unwise listener. A parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by antagonism towards God to see. It puts responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. A parable reveals truth to him who desires truth. It conceals truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. Jesus continued, Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have, will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Those who are open and sensitive to spiritual truth will be given spiritual insights through parables. Those who are not open or sensitive to spiritual truth will be even worse off than they were before. Parables, then, present God's message in a way that requires spiritual imagination. And if you have imaginable, imaginative discernment, you will be able to understand the truth. Through a parable, the spiritually and imaginatively discerning will understand some aspect of truth clearly, but the spiritually unimaginative and imperceptive will hear a mere story. This is also the case with modern parables, movies. There are spiritual insights offered through modern parables, and it is our goal through this sermon series to help you sharpen your spiritual imagination, to make you wise to the spiritual truths that are embedded in entertainment. You might think it crass or uncouth to bring a secular piece of cinema into the church, but never forget that we are Christ's ambassadors to a lost culture around us. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, that we should become all things to all people so that by all possible means we might win some. There is no doubt that our world values entertainment. It craves it. And there's no doubt that through plays, books, TV shows, and movies, the entertainment industry takes advantage of stupid and lazy people spiritually. 
Let us, therefore, be people who sharpen our spiritual imagination and discernment when experiencing modern parables. Never checking out mentally or spiritually, for the mentally and spiritually checked out can be influenced away from godly truth. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. We, however, by engaging our spiritual attunement and sanctified imaginations, will be able to discern clearly some aspect of truth from the movie, which will allow us to connect that movie, that modern parable, with spiritual truth and then invite people around us to have a conversation about God stuff. And what better modern parable to consider first than Superman the movie. Yes, Superman the movie, this iconic film released 43 years ago in 1978, uh, directed by Richard Donner, starring Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando, Margot Kidder, and Gene Hackman, with music by the incomparable John Williams, launched the modern superhero movie genre. And while the Superman parable has been told in many different forms, many different times, and in different mediums, this film, fan film franchise holds a special place in my life. And this is the first time ever that I've preached at the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> this is really cool. I dig it. After all, Superman needs a place he can get away from the crowds, away from the hustle and bustle of the fast-paced life in Metropolis. He needs a place he can commune with his father and be charged up, ready to get back out there and save the day. I mean, this set is really cool. I dig it. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I really like Superman. I do. I've always liked Superman, even since I was a little kid. Dressing up in my Superman pajamas, getting ready to watch this movie because Superman resonates with little kids all around the globe because he represents the hope that we can become something greater than we are. What kid doesn't want to fly around and be super strong and save the day? I sure did. I sure did, and I remember very, very clearly watching Superman the movie with my dad in the living room. We would watch this movie, we would get the popcorn ready, and I would get in my Superman pajamas, and we would watch this film. And I loved it. I loved it because Superman was this really strong, powerful hero who could do just about anything, but he was also pretending to be Clark Kent. And I related a lot to Clark Kent because I stumbled a lot. I, I wasn't very coordinated. I tripped over myself a lot. I had, I had goofy hair. And I had glasses, and I remember one day I got a compliment from a kid on my t-ball team, and he said, your glasses look just like Clark Kent's. And I thought, that's right, they do. <laughs> because if I'm Clark Kent, you know who else that means I am? Superman. And that's what I wanted to be. And so, Christopher Reeve is my favorite Superman. I love all Superman uh, stuff, I do. But Christopher Reeve, He's the one that resonates with my heart because he was my Superman growing up. Some of you who are older, you might think, no, it's George Reeves from the TV show. Some of you who are younger might think, well, well, no, it's, it's Henry Cavill because he's the current. That's fine. Christopher Reeve was my favorite. But I never engaged the Superman parable with spiritual discernment. 
I thought it was just an enjoying story. I never discovered the spiritual truth contained in Superman, and so I drifted from the love of Superman. As I entered adolescence, I started liking superheroes that had a more violent streak. I started getting into Batman and the X-Men and the Punisher. Superman seemed too good. He seemed too nice, too much of a big blue boy scout. And this corresponded to my descent from agnosticism into full-blown atheism until I came to Christ. I came to Christ and I've shared that story about how I was an anti-Christ atheist plucking kids from youth group. And it wasn't until I found a youth minister who was big, strong, powerful, and smart, loving, and compassionate, who was able to answer my questions, show me the truth that I came to Christ. And because he was willing to be correct in his biblical thinking, creative in his biblical approach, I came to the Lord. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And having come to the Lord, I found myself in a comic book store one day, and I realized, Superman is the Jesus of comic books. It's so amazing. And so I did a deep dive into Superman mythology, but with intellectual powers of an adult, and newly found spiritual awareness, I realized that Superman is the world's most vibrant, extra-biblical type of Christ. Typology is the study of similarity and connection to Christ. A biblical type of Christ is someone in the Bible who reminds you of Jesus. Moses reminds you of Jesus. Samson reminds you of Jesus. King David reminds, these are all types of Christ. An extra-biblical type of Christ is someone who reminds you of Jesus, but is not in the Bible. And Superman is a story, it's a parable story, in which the spiritually discerning can find connection to Superman. I realized that this was really important, and no other fictional character can so vibrantly draw parallels to Christ. I was hooked. I no longer wanted my favorite superheroes to be a reflection of my darkness. I wanted my hero to be an ideal that I strived towards, an embodiment of virtue and goodness, someone who could inspire me to actually become greater than I am, someone like Jesus. And so I needed a comic hero like Superman. And I like Superman, not just because he's the strongest superhero, not just because he can fly, and not just because he has heat vision, these superpowers are great, but Superman's greatest superpower is not super strength or invulnerability or super hearing or flight. Superman's greatest superpower is his ability to inspire people to something more than they are. You know who else inspires people to be something more than they are? Jesus. Yes, Jesus Christ's love compels us to better love those around us because Jesus perfectly demonstrated love to us. Jesus is the Messiah. Superman is a messianic character. In fact, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two Jewish kids from Cleveland, who wanted to write about and draw a character who was like Moses, like Samson, and like all the other strong men they saw in culture because they wanted to put together what they hoped the Messiah would be like since they didn't believe that Jesus was he. 
Well, when Kim and I were first married, there were rumblings of a new Superman movie to come out in a few years, so I went back and rewatched Superman the movie with new perspective, and I was blown away. The connections between Jesus and Superman are profound. Allow me to elucidate. In Superman the movie, we learn of a greatly advanced civilization that orbits a distant red star. The leading scientist of this planet called Krypton is a brilliant man named Jor-El. He and his wife Lara know that the planet is doomed and that the only hope they have for their newborn son that they named Kal-El is to send him off planet. All the hopes and dreams of the house of El go with the baby as he's placed into the craft and sent into space. After landing in Kansas, the baby is found and raised by a kindly couple who name him Clark Kent. Clark has amazing powers and abilities, but feels different from everyone else. After learning who he really is, Superman reveals himself to the world, performs heroic deeds, saves the day, befriends Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, stops the evil plans of Lex Luthor, and even reverses the deadly consequences of Lex's plan by flying around the planet so fast that he reverses the direction of the spin of the earth and time itself to bring Lois Lane back from the dead. Whew! That's a lot for a movie. Already, the connections to Christ should become apparent to you. L is Superman's last name. His father's name is Jor-El. Superman's name, the son, is Kal-El, and they are said to come from the house of El. El is also the Hebrew word for God. And so, when you think about the Father, he's often referred to as El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Shaddai, God All-Sufficient. The Son is known as Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, Emmanuel. And Jesus, according to Hebrews 10, 21, is the high priest over the house of God, just like Superman is of the house of El. The connections start to become clear. But not only this, Superman has a peculiar origin. In Kryptonian, we learn that Kal-El means star child, and he's placed into a giant spaceship that looks like a star, and then he's sent into space. Well, there's some parallels here, too, because when it comes to Jesus, there was a star over Bethlehem that emerged when Christ was born. And if you look at Matthew chapter 2, the wise men, the magi from the east, came following the star, and, and Herod wanted to know exactly where this new star baby would be so that he could go kill him. But Jesus would not be killed. In fact, there's also a connection between Superman being sent into space in a craft and Moses, a type of Christ, being sent down the Nile River in a particular basket. Both are found and raised by kindly people who are not their own. Mmm, Superman is a lot like Moses. Moses is a lot like Jesus. The connections are obvious. Superman has great superpowers. He flies in the air. He's got super hearing. He's got heat vision. And he even reverses death. Well, Jesus has miraculous powers. He walks on water. He hears all our prayers. He has eyes like burning fire, and he raises the dead. The connections are pretty cool. But not just that. We see that in many forms, other versions of the Superman parable make the connection even more obvious. Depicting Superman in the cruciform position is now commonplace. 
The top picture is from the 2013 Man of Steel movie starring Henry Cavill, and the bottom picture is from the 2006 motion picture uh, Superman Returns starring Brandon Routh. And both of them show Superman in the Jesus pose because they're trying to make the connections even more obvious to people. Well, all of these connections are really cool, but they go unnoticed by the spiritually undiscerning. They think that they're just enjoying a superhero story. And there are far more connections that I could draw out than I have time to point out this morning, but I want to focus on one connection that rises above the rest. At one point in the film, Superman the movie, Superman is training in the fortress of solitude with the spirit of his father, Jor-El. Jor-El helps Superman learn about philosophy and about literature and ultimately about his purpose. I want you to watch this clip from the movie and hear the specific reason Superman was sent to Earth. Live as one of them, Kal-El. Discover where your strength and your power are needed. But always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. They can be a great people, Kal-El. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good. I have sent them you. My only son. Superman has been sent to Earth for a very specific reason. Did you hear what Jor-El said? Now it's time for you to rejoin your new world and serve its collective humanity. Live as one of them, Kal-El. Discover where your strength and your power are needed. Always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. But the key is this part of the quote. They can be a great people, Kal-El. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I've sent them you, my only son. So a father from the heavens sends his only son to earth to be a light to show the way. Hmm, that sounds an awful, light, an awful lot like the Gospel of John to me. Here, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not only that, but the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 8 says, You were once in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. If you lack the light to show the way, and then the light comes, then you can live as children of the light. And 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, they need the light to show the way. And for this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I've sent them you, my only son. That kind of reminds me again of the Gospel of John, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal 
life. Superman, like Jesus, is to show people the light and inspire people to their own capacity for good. But in order for Superman to inspire people to their capacity for good, he has to do something inspirational. He can no longer merely masquerade as a mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. He will need to discover where his strength and power are needed. And so some instigating event must transpire for Superman to shed the tie, reveal the S, and in this clip we're about to watch, Superman reveals his glory for the first time and proves himself a savior and a friend. needs help. Well, I certainly hope this little incident hasn't put you off flying, miss. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. Right. Wait! Who are you? A friend. Lois Lane thought she was in a secure position buckled into a helicopter. She had to go find a story. And so the helicopter, which lands on the rooftop of the Daily Building, gets ready to fly their greatest reporter around. But a disastrous error occurred, threatening her life. And she has to hold on for dear life dangling off the side of the Daily Planet Building. While a great crowd gathers all around when all seems lost. Then Superman, careful to maintain his secret identity, reveals himself, saves Lois, proved himself a friend, and now everyone wants to know more about Superman. They want to grow in their knowledge of this friend and savior from the sky. And when I hear about that, a particular passage of scripture comes to mind when I see the clip we just watched. 
2 Peter 3, 17 through 18 says, Dear friends, be on your guard so that you may not fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be uh, glory both now and forever. Amen. The glory is a big, big deal. Superman has made his big reveal. The world now wants to know more about this superpowered savior, and they want to grow in their knowledge of this flying man. Fortunately, Superman has a very close in with a certain intrepid girl reporter, and Lois Lane actually pens the very first article containing an actual interview uh, with Superman, a feat that the great editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, Perry White, says is the biggest interview since, well, since Moses talked to God. The connections abound. Remember, Superman was written by two Jewish kids, and so there's always stuff to remind you of Moses. Superman later goes on in the film to foil the plans of evil Lex Luthor, a task that no one else could handle. Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of this generation, has devised a plan whereby he steals two nuclear missiles and sends them in opposite directions, ready to distract Superman, destroy California, send all of California into the Pacific Ocean, and make the new property that he's purchased in Nevada, beachfront property. It's, it's a very mischievous plan. Millions of people will die, and all sorts of bad things come about because of it. But Superman is there to save the day. After he goes through a baptism, which represents his death, for he falls into a pool, having been wrapped around with a kryptonite necklace, he is revived from that, comes out of the water, saves the day, everything is great, the world is safe once more. Superman foils the plans of Lex Luthor, stopping nuclear disaster. But what I want you to see is how Superman interacts with both his enemies and his friends. In this clip, you'll see Superman doing just that. Good evening, Warden. I think these two men should be safe here with you now so they can get a fair trial. Who is it, Superman? Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. Of our time? I hereby serve notice. He's serving notice to you. That these walls. These walls here. Will you shut up, please? You All right, take away, boy. Don't you, you. This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. I. And so Superman wants Lex and Otis to receive a fair trial. In the same way, 
All people will have to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ, but Jesus will not judge anyone until his return. Superman tells the warden of the jail that will host Lex and Otis until they can get their fair trial that, uh, that those who walk in the light are all on the same team. And you'll notice how the spotlight follows Superman where he goes. A lot of the film is shot at nighttime, and yet Superman always finds himself in the light because he's supposed to be the light. And Jesus tells us the same thing. We who believe, who walk according to the light of the only Son of our Heavenly Father, are part of a very special team, the body of Christ, the church. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Jesus, it says about him, that Christ established church leadership roles to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its part. Christ's love compels us to do our part. And in the same way, Superman inspires many to their own capacity for good. Each of us should do our part. I've thought long and hard about what my part is, and here's my part. My purpose is to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God stuff. This is the purpose for my life. This is what God has called me to do. After years of discerning, after years of practice, trial, error, failure, success, it is crystal clear to me that this is exactly what God Almighty has called me to do. Inspire people to think. Inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff. Here at Glendale Christian Church, we're all about transformation, which involves the head, the heart, and the hands. Well, the head is my specialty. The head is my specialty. And my job is to inspire people to think. I don't want to force anyone to think. I want to inspire people to think. I want to live in such a way that people will see what I'm doing and they'll get excited and they will want to join me in thinking. But not just thinking about anything. Thinking very specifically about God's stuff. And not just thinking about God's stuff in any particular way. Correctly and creatively. Correct thinking about God's stuff is paramount to me because that's how transformation starts. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind and then we have heartfelt belief trust and then we demonstrate loving obedience with our hands. It starts with the head though. And if we do not think correctly about God's stuff, we will never be on the right page concerning the gospel. So when I think about correct thinking concerning God's stuff, the first thing that comes to mind is doctrinal fidelity. We must demonstrate doctrinal fidelity here at Glendale Christian Church. I must demonstrate doctrinal fidelity in my own life. For if the way I present the doctrines is wrong, I need to be called out by you and by the elders and be dismissed immediately. False doctrine and false teaching has no foothold at Glendale Christian Church. And if any whiff of false doctrine creeps in, it is our job as pastors to snuff and destroy it. Snuff it out and destroy it. For that's what it means to protect. 
to protect a congregation, which our elders are charged to do as the shepherds of this flock, and which they have hired Chris and Clay and myself to do as under-shepherds with them, is to make sure that the doctrine of the church is faithful to God Almighty and His Word. That's what we need to be about. That's what we will be about. Because if we have correct thinking about God's stuff and we have doctrinal fidelity, then our explanation of the gospel becomes clear and obvious. The gospel is not so hard to understand or so hard to explain. It goes something like this. God, who is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, eternal, necessary, triune creator of heaven and earth, made everything. God, the perfect being, made everything. And the best thing he made was human beings. And he made us in his own image. And because we are made in the image of the perfect God, that means that we are endowed with creativity, with the ability to give and receive love, and the ability to make choices. But we use that freedom to choose poorly. And God said, you can do anything you want except this one thing, and it was that one thing that we wanted to do. And so we did. We sinned, rebelling against God, going against his expressed will, and because of that, God, who is so perfect, cannot be around sin, which is a mark against perfection, and so humankind was separated from God Almighty. And the entire story of the Bible is the story of God pulling his people back to himself. First he shouted to them, go to the land I will show you, then he burned in front of them and revealed his word to them. Then he was carried around in a box, and then an entire house was built around him, but it was never good enough. So then, God the Father sent God the Son to earth, and God the Son stepped off the throne in heaven and came to earth as a helpless babe, was raised as a human being, took on humanity. He had to grow and he had to learn and he learned and discerned that he was in fact God himself, that he was the author of the words he read every day and he lived a perfect and sinless life and is the only human being who never sinned. And because he never sinned, he's the only one who is with God. Well, God explained, if you want to be right with me, there's got to be sacrifice. Blood must be shed. And so for years, before Jesus came to earth, people would sacrifice animals in order to be right with God. But it never really worked because animals aren't as good as people. In order for there to be a perfect sacrifice, there has to be, well, a human sacrifice. But no human was without sin. And so all humans needed a sacrifice made for them, so God himself became a human to live a perfect and sinless life as a human. And he, Jesus, God the Son, took our place on the cross, and he became our sacrifice. And Jesus, who is perfect in righteousness, bore our sin. And we, who are imperfect in sinfulness, we're clothed with his righteousness as the great cosmic switch happened. We deserve to die on the cross for our sin because we sinned against God. And you might think it's not that big a deal, but then you don't understand God. Any sin against God is worse than the total accumulation of all bad things done by and against human beings. One sin against God is worse than all of those things for God is infinite and perfect. 
And when you sin against the infinite and perfect God, you deserve an infinite and perfect punishment. But if we are punished infinitely and perfectly, we're separated forever from God. And God doesn't want to be separated from us. And so what happens is Jesus, who is God the Son and perfect and sinless, he took our punishment for us. And when we place our faith in what Jesus did, and what Jesus did was die on the cross for us and be raised from the dead by the power of God Almighty. And when we place our faith, our heartfelt belief in the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead who died on the cross for our sins, we are justified. And the righteousness that is Christ's becomes ours. And we stand right before God. And then the Holy Spirit indwells us, the third person of the Trinity. And he leads us in Christ-likeness. And we grow in our knowledge of God and his word. And we become more and more like Christ as we live in the light. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And as we live in the light... We become more and more like him while we wait for his glorious return. But until he returns, we've got a job to do. And he told us that job was to make disciples. So the reason I'm inviting you to church today after you've just watched Superman the movie with someone is so that you can come and learn the truth about Jesus Christ. We've got to have correct thinking because it leads to discipleship. And I want you to embrace your own purpose. And correct thinking about God is the only way that you will discern your true purpose in Christ. What's your part in the body of Christ? Mine is to inspire people to think correctly and creatively about God's stuff and to talk about it. What's your part? Your part might not be to give the sermons. Your part might be to teach a class or to serve with little kids or to pray or to give. There's lots of parts that need to be played. If you're not thinking correctly, you'll never figure out your part. But it's not just correct thinking that we need. We need creative thinking. And creative thinking is finding spiritual truth in entertainment or modern parables. I love to give sermons with lightsabers and swords. I love to wear Superman shirts. I love to talk about stuff that I know the world in which I live thinks is cool. I love to talk about sports and popular music because a lot of the folks that I talk to think those things are great. And so I take my knowledge of those things and I connect them to my knowledge of God things and I say, you know what? That movie got me thinking a lot about what Christ has done for us. And I go, oh, don't bring any of that to me. Don't, don't try to bring Jesus into Superman stuff. Oh, I can't help but bring Jesus into Superman stuff because Superman was literally created to describe what the Messiah would be. Let me share with you who the true Messiah is. And that's why I say Superman is the world's most vibrant, extra-biblical type of Christ. He's a more vibrant type of Christ than King Arthur. He's a more vibrant type of Christ than any other superhero there is. Modern parables can reveal spiritual truth whether or not the writers of those parables intended those spiritual truths. Do you understand that? You don't have to plan the spiritual truth for there to be spiritual truth, for God's truth is in all things. And the people who write these songs and write these books and write these shows and write these movies might not even know the spiritual content of what they have. But we, who are the spiritually imaginative and discerning, can find the truth, pull it out, share it with people, and connect popular entertainment with life-saving gospel truth. Superman parables can soften the heart towards the Christian gospel. 
We can use Superman as a parable to share the faith and make someone a disciple if they have spiritual and imaginative discernment to see, to hear, and to understand that this parable is no mere story. It is the tale of the world's most vibrant, extra-biblical type of Christ. When I see Superman, I think of Jesus. When I'm surrounded or festooned in primary colored goodness, I think about Jesus. When I hang out in my office, which is totally decked out in Superman stuff, and if you haven't seen it, you should take a tour of my office, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of my Superman collection. I deck out my office in Superman stuff because it helps me think about Jesus. When I watch a Superman movie, I think about Jesus. When I read a Superman comic, I think about Jesus. And when I think about my children, I think about Jesus. Now, I named my oldest daughter Catherine Lois. I named my second daughter Genevieve Lane. I named my third daughter Alexandra Lara. Lois Lane Lara, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, Superman's mom from Krypton, Lara, and I named my son Clark. We're not even fooling around waiting for the middle name. His name is Clark. And when I think about my family, and how I have named them for Superman mythology. When I think about them, I think about Jesus. Now, they help Christ compel me to exemplify my capacity for goodness. And I pray that they will grow in their spiritual discernment and imagination, and that they will live up to their namesakes, walking in the light, demonstrating how great their capacity for goodness really is. For after all, aren't we all about a father from the heavens sending his only son to be a light to show the way to make us the people we were intended to be? Yeah. Now decide if I'm talking about Superman or Jesus. Will you stand with me as we pray this morning?